0: However, standing by right now, is the one and the only, Sean Mooney, who?
1: Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. (laughs) After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up and she did not respond and I'll go down to my go to my grave testifying or whatever swearing that Davy was not on drugs if he was on drugs the way Brett says how does I mean how great does that make Davy
0: are you laughing Sean I get off the track here all the time did you just laugh Sean you go ahead and chop me give me a big chop I'll sell I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and then I'll punch you right in the mouth, as far as I can.
1: <laughs> Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Thanks for once again tuning in. And we're coming off a conversation with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Uh, another conversation that I really, really enjoyed I uh, loved our discussion because, you know, Ron is the epitome of old school. Uh, not only knows uh, so much about the territories uh, back then and what was going on, but was a big part of them, uh, was also a promoter and an owner, and so, so, so many stories to tell. Uh, if you haven't listened to the episode, uh, check it out. It is, uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, episode that we put together with Ron. Also, if you'd like to listen to more of those great stories, he's got a ton of them You can go to his website, tnstud.com. That's tnstud.com. Absolutely great stuff. Don't miss checking it out. All right, this week, a real treat for fans of the WWF in the 80s and the early 90s. And I think that covers all of you. So it's a treat for everybody, especially those who are real historians and people who love to hear about what goes on beyond uh, the curtain, behind the curtain. Um, I think that also covers everyone who is listening. So it's a, it's a treat. It's a real treat for everybody. Uh, as I have mentioned in many a podcast uh, during that period of the WWF, and that was right in my wheelhouse. I was there from 87 to 93. Uh, and, and before that, even before I got there, Vince realized in order to improve you know, the level of quality of his content, uh, of the product, he was going to have to bring in people from the outside world. From people that uh, you know didn't come up uh, through the world of professional wrestling, you know people with expertise in, in entertainment and television production, and uh, it also happens that you know making that transition or bringing these people in, it became a you know very turbulent time in the company, because um, very much the business and and the company were uh, uh, very much a kayfabe uh, atmosphere as I learned firsthand, but others like me also discovered, you know, when you arrived, you were very much considered an outsider and really had to earn your way in. And that could take, you know, uh, took me a good year, but I, others, um, it took a lot longer. Some never, you know, kept working there maybe, but never were uh, what I like to say accepted. Um, you know, uh, the, the important part to remember is that, uh, you know, uh, you, you may have become accepted, but you were never going to be one of them. And as long as you remembered that, you were going to be okay. Some didn't follow that, uh, that credo like I did, and uh, it didn't usually end well for them. Um, during that time, some very, very talented people from the outside world were brought in, uh, and they helped the company a great deal move forward and really improve the way the WWF events were presented to the world uh, people like Dick Ebersall certainly comes to mind, and you all know who he is. He was with NBC, um, and uh, was the you know the innovator, the one who started Saturday Night's Main Event, along with Vince, and other people like David Sahadi, That's a name many of you may not know, but uh, you know David was somebody who came from the network who was really a, a very creative guy, and uh, helped. Uh, establish the look of a lot of the stuff that the WWE uh, was doing at the time, WWF then, and uh, just many, many others. Um, Ebersol and Sahadi are, are just two examples of people who came from the networks. Um, others came from different places, but a lot of the people that they brought on were uh, from uh, the networks, had that network experience. Um, but, uh, you know, there were many others who came in and it just didn't work, and, and for a number of reasons. Um, My guest this episode came to the WWF after a great run with NBC Sports. uh, You know, during his time there in the '70s and '80s, John Filippelli was uh, a lead producer for numerous MLB uh, game of the week uh, broadcasts, also uh, the League Championship Series, the All-Star Game, and of course, World Series. He he was a huge baseball fan, but uh, you know, when you worked for NBC Sports, you did a lot of things. You covered a lot of different sports. And uh, he was, you know, somebody who was you know, one of the innovators who helped shape network sports television at the time because I remember when I first, you know, started in the business, they were still doing very simple graphics, uh, you know, that were, um, to say the least, looked like, you know, a pa- basically like a Pac-Man game graphics, you know, and, and, and then you saw how things changed, and they started bringing in, you know, different techniques and, and the ways to present uh the sport uh, on television and uh, John Filippelli was one of those guys who was one of the innovators and uh, he had uh, met Vince along the way uh, doing other things and um, you know Vince was looking to put the WWF on the same level as network sports when it came to their broadcasts and at the time NBC was you know one of the leads I mean one of the known throughout the world and uh, they lost baseball the contract uh, for a period of time. And it was, of course, John's first love. So he was looking to do something else. And the timing, you know, figured to be right. And Vince persuaded John to come on board. Now, uh, I have a theory. <laughs> you know, something I saw happen more than once at the WWF. So uh, follow me along here. You know, in Vince McMahon's universe, uh, it can be great to be one of those planets, you know, orbiting around Vince like he's the sun. But, uh, you know,. It, He's a sun in that universe, but the thing is you don't want to be too close to that sun because eventually the heat becomes too intense. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that as we get into our conversation here. And you'll also have to pardon the initial conversation as uh, Flip, as he is known, uh, people who are close to him. Uh, we talk baseball and the glory days of network sports uh, because uh, I, I I love uh, you know talking about how sports television changed during that period of time because there was a lot happening and uh and flip was was a big part of it so uh i promise that we will get to the meat of the matter of the time that he spent in the wwf but i liked uh you know setting the table here so you knew where he came from and uh just how um important it was just what kind of a big deal it was when vince brought him in and it will be well worth the wait for uh for you to uh hear that so let's get to it my conversation with a man who has helped shape network sports and is still doing it today john Filippelli. (music) folks my guest this week has spent his career uh, not just in sports television but helping to shape it with endless innovations he's conceived over more than four decades now and he still hasn't stopped uh, we crossed paths back in the early 90s at the then WWF, uh, which we will discuss at length among other topics, but uh, welcome John Filippelli, who also has helped establish the Yankees Yes Network and where he remains today as the president of production and programming for the network. John, thanks for coming on Primetime. How are you? It's my pleasure, Sean. How are you? I'm How good. You? It's, uh you know, I'd like to say it's been a long time, but you and I have actually chatted a couple of times over the last month or so. And it was, uh, I tell you, I was just floored when uh, when uh, I heard from you because it had it, been so long. And, you know, and there's like over the years when things would happen, uh, I would have loved to have checked in with you. Because whether you realize it or not, you did have a, a big influence on me when you were uh, at the WWF because... Uh you're one of those people that uh not only you're personable but you were as far as talent you you had a uh, something about you that you could just kind of uh look at somebody and what they did and and when you approached them it didn't seem like you were criticizing you were helping and uh really I I never really got to thank you so I'm I'm doing it now <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, thank you. I thank you for that, Sean. That's very kind of you. And uh, you were, you know, you were significant talent back in the day. And uh, as I've watched your career from afar, actually, and I, I, you know, the same could be said of me. I could have picked up a phone as well, and I'm,
0: I'm sorry I didn't do it, but I'm, I'm glad we did now. And I'm, I'm glad that we're having this conversation. We've uh, reconnected, and uh, I, you know, I rattled off there, uh, you know, kind of an overview of your career, and then also what you've done over the last uh, decades with the Yes Network, but. I was thinking, I don't know, is there a network you didn't work at along the way?
1: Well, I spent 18 years at NBC. That's right. where I started my career, and I, I really sort of uh, made my bones there. And then I went to work for Vince for about two years. Um, I left there. I, when I left Vince, I went to work for uh, not, um, uh, a baseball network is where I went. That was a, right. a collaboration between NBC, ABC, and Major League Baseball. And that was great. It was like one, maybe the most fun I've ever, ever had in any job, but problem was the strike came along and that we couldn't make the, you know, the financial commitment that we had promised the owner. So that went out. And then I started Fox's Baseball. I did that for about four years with Eddie Gordon and David Hill. And that was great because that gave me a chance to sort of uh, bring a talent along that I'd work at the Baseball Network. I'll I'll make up a name. I'll call him Joe Buck. So that was significant and fun. And that was, I love that. And then I went to ABC Sports for two years with EP there. And then uh, uh, ESPN was basically taking over ABC Sports. And uh, so I was sort of, I was a little restless. I was looking for a good opportunity. George Steinbrenner came along. He, He really hit me hard about going to work for him and starting this thing called the Yes Network. And that was 18 years ago. And I, you know, after going back and forth with him and, you know, I really didn't want to do it at first. I, I was unsure of it because I knew George and I knew George was kind of a mercurical personality, but I said, you know what, I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. And I'm really glad that I did. I mean, that's 18 years ago now oh, and nice. it's been the, the most productive 18 years of my career, It's changed regional, it's changed the landscape of sports television because it brought the regionals from the, from being regionals to sort of a network quality operations. And you just saw St. Sinclair made that significant purchase of 21 regional sports networks, and they paid like a 10 billion dollars for them. So, you know, there's there's a lot of worth in those networks, and I'm really glad that I was in the forefront of that and had an opportunity to work with such great people that I was able to work with through the years that we made that successful. But that's that's where I am today. So I know it's a little rush, but that may catch you up as to
0: what I've done. Oh yeah, but I, I got a lot. I have a lot more. I've got a lot more questions coming your way. <laughs> I'm sure you do, John. You no, know, <laughs> because you really s- saw the how really uh, sports network television. Um, almost in its infancy. I mean, back, you know, the 50s and 60s, of course, we had, I guess, what you describe as network sports, but it really didn't uh, evolve, I think, until, you know, we started seeing the 70s and then when cable came along, and then it, it's just been phenomenal since. But I always love to hear uh, the path before this all started. And I, I, uh, I love the fact that, uh, you know, your roots are deep in New York uh, in, in Brooklyn and I know, uh, you know, like with the Dodgers, I mean, you could talk about the Brooklyn Dodgers, too. And I think uh, your father had a, a bar or something. I mean, give yes. us kind of the, the uh, yes. lay of the land, though, the beginnings of uh, John Filippelli and, and your path to uh, network television. Uh, my father owned a
1: bar across the street from Ebbets Field, wow. It was called Dublin back in the day. Yeah. And uh, so I grew up in, in, around my dad was in that business. So I would, I'm going to say I'd go to work with him every day, but I was at the bar a significant amount of time considering I was three years old and four years old. Yeah. And uh, so the Brooklyn Dodgers used to come in the bar. So I have pictures here with the, uh, you know, with Jackie Robinson and, you know, Carl Farillo and Roy Campanella and Gil Hodges and Charlie Neal and George Shuba, you know, uh, Duke Snyder. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of an endless list of, of uh, yeah. Of the great Dodger players, and I was I was fortunate enough to, you know, that got in my bloodstream really early, and I realized that I really wanted to be involved in baseball. It's really what I wanted to do more than anything else. And I played a little in high school, and I I love the sport. I studied the sport. I grew up with the sport. Uh, it's been in my bloodstream. And my first job was a vendor. I was a vendor at Yankee Stadium, and I was I don't know, I'm probably I was 16 years old because I was job. underage. <laughs> yeah that was my first job selling yeah. i used to sell you know, believe it or not i sell popcorn in the bleachers you know try that in yeah. july and august it's not a popular item sean it no. just wasn't but i but i got into the park you know and i and i uh, i was around the game which really mattered to me and i uh i just love sports and uh you know, and then I, uh, you know, I uh, I wound up, uh, one day I took the tour of NBC Sports, uh, not of NBC Sports, of NBC, actually. Uh-huh. And uh, they even have these general tours for, you know, two and three dollars you pay right. and you get a tour of NBC. And I took that tour and I said, what a great place to work. So I started leaving the tour. I think I go to all these places. You could not do this now, with, you know, with security being what it is and the world being what it is, you just can't leave and wander around. But back in the day, yeah. you could sort of do that. So I walked around. I tried, I tried to ask for a job. They said, who are you? Where would you come from? Nobody really questioned too hard. They kept sending me to personnel. And then when I went to personnel, they said, did you go to an Ivy League school? Did you do this? I said, no, I didn't do any of that. Yeah. it's like, so I wound up in a wire room, which is where the copy boys were. And they would, you know, rip wire. In the old days, there were the teletype machines, AP, UPI, Reuters, et cetera, right? So uh-huh. that job was basically rip and read. You would rip the, the teletype, and you'd put it on a hook. And you'd make sure that the desk knew if there was a significant story, like, a, you know, a, a uh, you know, an urgent bulletin of some sort of, you know, a, a coup in a country or a plane crash or anything that would happen that was significant news. You had to alert the news desk, and it was part of the job. And so I, so I did that, and my first my first job, my first credit was on the Watergate, uh, was at the Nixon resignation mm-hmm. in Watergate, and I was the copy boy. I was the desk assistant. So if you go back and you see that show at NBC, been- it'll say desk assistant and it has my name. That was my first credit. Okay, and it was on. <laughs> so I, I go back and I, I you know, that's where I started. Really, those were my roots. I did that for a little bit of time. I met the sports department people, and I would point out stories. I'd say, "Did you see uh, Frank Tanana had 16 strikeouts?" And they'd say, and they'd say, "Well, who did you strike out?" Just to tease me. And I would name everybody he, they struck out because I'd read the copy and I knew it. And I would start. Basically, I wouldn't say I was doing their job for them, but I was pointing out stories for them. I I say "You see, the Steelers got Lynn Swan in the draft." I was their pick, and you know, they could have gone this way, and they went this way, and after a while, they said, who is this kid? So they brought me down to the sports department, and uh, Scotty Connell, who's a name that resonates with me, I'm sure resonates with you, Sean, and maybe yeah. some of our of, of your listeners, uh, you know, saw me and, and talked to me, and uh, he gave me my first break, he hired me, and I, uh, I started working in the sports department, and within six years, I was producing the World Series. Wow. So, you know, so that's really what happened to me, and there's a lot, of, there's a lot that happened in between there, yeah. but you know, it was it was it was a place to start. I always tell people, get your foot in the door. It does you really. And then once you get your foot in the door, it's up to you what you do with that opportunity. But you have to have that opportunity. And I was so fortunate. I mean, I met I met such great people, and uh, and I was persistent. You know, I wanted to succeed. I wanted to do this. I and I wanted to do it my way. I wasn't interested in stepping over anybody or hurting anybody. I'm not a. I still have that reputation today. I'm not a cutthroat. I I've tried to be honorable in the business and do the right thing by people. And uh, I've you know I've hired. I've hired women before it was fashionable. I gave all sorts of opportunities to all kinds of people, not because I wanted to be a visionary, but because it was the right thing to do because they had the talent and they deserved the job. And that's kind of the way I've operated. And yes, I've had such a great canvas. So I mean, we took that company from... I don't know, 500 million dollar, 600 million dollar original investment, and worth 5 billion dollars today, or in the neighborhood of 5 billion dollars. So, you know, we, we, did, we did well with that. And again, great people. You hire the right people, surround yourself with good people, give them the give them the you back them, you have their back, and you give them the resources to do their job. And you'll be surprised what happens, Sean. Uh, it, it, it will work, you know. And I was always lucky like that. And uh, I I really enjoyed, I did it despite the fact that it it didn't really end well for me at the WWF because it really wasn't my passion. My passion was the things I've described to you and not really so much wrestling, but I liked wrestling and I knew Vince. And when he, you know, asked, pitched me the job, I, I thought about it, and I said, you know, it'd be, it'd be okay. I'd like to try this for a little bit and see where it goes. I I had no idea where it would go, but it, it led me to one of the greatest marketers of all time, and that's Vince McMahon. And I, there was a lot of good. I met a lot of interesting people, that, uh, people I really liked. And, you know, I had some kind of imprint on it, although it was a small imprint. But, you know, I, I did enjoy my time in the aggregate at the WWF.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and we'll get into that. But, you know, uh, I'm— I- Fascinated, though, what it was about television early on for you. Was that always something that you said, you know, this is something I, I want to do? I mean, you went to NBC, uh, but were you like this kid who, you know, when you were at baseball games, you're envisioning how it should be shown or, or was it just the you know, opportunities came along and you excelled? I just loved, I loved being around
1: the game. I loved baseball. I was a, a fascinated by baseball and I really enjoyed television. I wanted to learn the business of television. I, uh, you know, I, I will give you one sidebar story if I want about television where mm-hmm. when I was a copy boy and I had just started, I was there maybe, I don't know, maybe I was there two weeks, maybe three weeks. I don't know. I don't remember. It's a long time ago, Sean, but yeah. I'll tell you, I tell you exactly how long I've been in business. Go back and start the, when Saturday Night Live came on the air. I started at NBC about a month or two before Saturday Night Live went on the air okay so if you want to know how long i've been in the business just just take the history of that show and backtrack it say two weeks or three weeks or whatever and that's how long i've been in the business so it was two or three weeks and they're rehearsing shows and the allman brothers I believe, were the first musical guest i know that because i love the allman brothers and i wanted to go upstairs and i wanted to see this i wanted to see how they did this i was fascinated by this so i went upstairs at 8h which was the studio where you know this would come for saturday night live came from right. so i went upstairs and, and i watched that much, the all Brothers. i mean this is great I I mean, I love the Aller Brothers, so this yeah. was awesome. And I was fascinated. I wanted to see what a producer did, what a director did, what a cameraman did, what a, you know, what a tape operator did, what a key grip did. I, I didn't really know much about any of this, and I wanted to learn. I really wanted to learn, Sean. My appetite to learn this was insatiable. So I, I went up to and I watched it. sit in the back of the control. Nobody bothered me. Nobody asked me a question. I was this is great. I did this for about five or six days. And one day, I, this guy taps me on the shoulder, yeah. and he says, uh, hello. And I go, hello. And he says, who are you? And I said, "Well, I'm John Filippelli." And I, I, uh, he says, "Where do you work?" I said, "Downstairs." I says, what do you do? I said, "I work in the, I'm a copy boy downstairs." And he goes, "Oh," and he says, "You just then you felt you would just wander up here? It's a closed set." And I said, uh, "I'm sorry. I, I, I wasn't thinking like that. I was, just, I wanted to learn. And I thought I would, I didn't. If I sat in the back, I wasn't bothering anybody. I, but I'm sorry. I, I should have, I should have asked permission. That's on me. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've always been accountable. So unless the, only thing about me. I'm a very accountable guy. So I said." Uh, I'm sorry, I, I, that's on me, I, I guess I, I didn't think like that. He goes, well, you should have. And I go, you're right, I should have. And I said, I'll leave. So I was leaving, and he goes, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to go. And he goes, next time when you want to do something like this, you ask permission. And I said, yes, sir. And he says, and, you, and, and he looks at me and he goes, and if you find me, if you, anybody gives you a hard time, you find me. Huh. And I said, well, who are you? He goes, my name is Lauren Michaels. <laughs> Okay, so that's this true story. Wow. And so let's fast forward this, Sean. Let's fast yeah. forward. God, I don't How long is this now? Let's go back. I've got, from about, it had to be 10 years ago. Yeah. We do a show called Center Stage on the Yes Network, which is an interview, long-form narrative in, interview program. And we've had people who are either in sports or around the business of sports yeah. or watch sports. I cut my, my, my rules pretty loose with right, this yeah. show because I really it's just like doing the people. guests. Interesting yeah. people. Interesting people. Believe it at <laughs> that, right? So... Yeah. We book Lauren Michaels as guest. Yeah. And so we're in the green room, and I come in beforehand, and I said, Hello, Lauren, I'm John and He goes, Oh, I, I know who you are. And I said, I said, Well, you know what? We've met before. And he goes, When did we meet before? And I said, And I took him back, and I told him that story, and he goes to me, He goes, You know, I remember this. Wow. I kind of remember this. Huh. He said, We were in rehearsals, and you were the kid I threw out. He said, I said, well, you didn't, you, you threatened to throw me out, but you really didn't. And he, and he said, well, I'm really glad I did. And he said, so what do you do? I said, I said, am I running on the press, president production program? Yes. And he says, were you close with George Steinberg? I said, I was. I helped start this with him and, and with and Randy Levine and Lance and some people. And he says, well, I guess you did okay. I said, I, I guess it worked out. It worked out for sure. But we had such a nice conversation. And, yeah. you know, it just tells you the value of, you know, being honest and upfront about things and, uh you know and if you want to learn you want to look you see it's about passion sean i mean i think you know this you know this you're successful if you're successful about something you want to do something you have to it has to be in your bloodstream you have to have a passion for it if you have a passion for something and you work hard enough at it usually i mean almost universally good things will
0: happen yeah. it just works like that so how did it uh, progress from from copy boy to becoming involved with uh, nbc sports
1: well, that was a, that was the Scotty Connell thing. I was working in the wire room, and the, the all the guys would come down, all the producers. Yeah. They'd say, "Hey, kid, what you got for me today?" And I'd give them these stories. And after a while, one of the guys, his name was his name was Silver, and he said to me, uh, "Not high hole either. I can't. Remember, I'm trying to remember his first name now, and I'm blanking on his first name. Yeah. But anyway, he was he was one of their uh, producers, and Les Dennis was another one of their producers. And they said to me, "You belong in the sports department. What are you doing in here?" And I said, <laughs> I started in here and he said, would you like to do sports? I said, I really would. He said, we'll introduce you to Scotty Connell and Chet Simmons. Uh-huh. So I, they did. And, and Scotty, uh, Scotty said to me, Chet Simmons was difficult. I sat with him, not that he was a difficult guy. He was just difficult at the time with me. Yeah. He sat down and he said, so if I ask you, if I ask you questions like, you know, I don't know, could you name everybody on the 61 Yankees? I said, I could do that. Yeah.
0: He
1: said, you could do that. I said, yeah, I could do that. He says, what do you mean you could do that? I said, I could do that. I said, I could do that. Moose Gowan was the first base with Bobby Richardson, Tony Kubek, Cleek Boyer, Hector Lopez, Johnny Blanch, and Yogi all mm-hmm. split left field when we weren't catching. <laughs> Mickey Bale uh, Mickey was in center. Roger, Roger Maris was in right. He said, Can you name the pitchers? I said, Yeah. Whitey Ford, uh, Whitey Ford Ralph Terry, Bill Stafford, Louis <laughs> Arroyo was principal reliever. I don't know. We can do this yeah. all day. Rowan Sheldon, whatever. And so, and he said to me, That's pretty good. Now, can you name the Cleveland Indians? You can't do that. I said, yeah, I can. So I proceeded to name the <laughs> Cleveland Indians. So he said to me, He goes, all right, so 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 all right, all right. So you, you could do all that. Could you do graphics? I go, um, tell me what the job entails. And he tells me what the job entails. And I said, I can do that. Oh, yeah, I can make graphics up now. You want graphics? No, I, I trust I believe you. I really believe you. Yeah. He says to me, I'll send you Scotty. So I went to see Scotty. And Scotty did, was not as... Um, was not as rigorous in his, uh, yeah, his um, questioning. interrogation. It was more like a ter- interrogation, <laughs> interrogation not yeah. questioning. Yeah. Interrogated me, yeah. but uh, Scotty didn't, and Scotty was very nice and uh, said to me, uh, no, I, I, I like you. I've heard a lot about you, and uh, I think you'd be good for us. And so he you know, he got a job starting as a – I started basically as a PA. That's how I started. And uh, uh, my career really took off when I met Don Ohmeyer. When Don Ohmeyer was running, you know, who was the next – sort of executive producer of NBC Sports when he got in there, uh, he and I got to know each other and he liked my work and he thought I had a lot of potential And so he made me a producer, that's really how things really accelerated for me, it was really Don O'Meara who did that and, and Michael Weissman who uh, later became one of my best friends in the world and still is to this day Michael Weissman and I are very close but Michael gave me a lot of opportunity, I owe Michael I know Don O'Meara, they, they, they really made my career, they gave me the opportunity to work on big events and you know when you're on a big event, you know Sean, you either that's where you either make get it done or you don't i mean it's like uh you know if, i guess if you work wrestlemania in the wrestling business that's that's the biggest event you work on an event like that you whatever it is you're working on the creme de la creme a crown jewel of, a, of an event uh, of a of a know, of a of a, well, I don't know where I'm going with this but you work on it, You work on it, the biggest events if you get a chance yeah. to do that you either make it in there or you don't you either shine or you don't and I was fortunate enough very fortunate enough that my best work came at some of these big events I mean I was you know I look back on my career and I look back on the 86 World Series and the 88 World Series you know what's Kurt Gibson on a basis to it with Harry Cole got that yeah. great shot at fist bumping And I've been involved in so many things like that I even in my time at Fox at the 96 World Series Bob on the horse and the Yankees coming back from 2 against the Braves and winning that series and you know all-star games and super bowls I mean I worked on so many big events and I was so fortunate that, that that's really where I was lucky is that I got a chance to work on those kind of events and when I worked on them I didn't fail you know I, I came up I came up aces you know I mean I, like I said I didn't make my mistakes we all make mistakes I certainly made my share of them but I didn't make a lot of them I, I saved those for Saturday afternoon Sean there's yeah. two in a game every week if so we're going to make a mistake I'll, I'll do it in Atlanta in August when it's, it's 105 degrees and you know our audience is small I never I, I really shined on big events that's where I made my you name and, uh, and, and that's what my career was made yeah
0: well and it's uh and as i mentioned uh you were uh, you were part of that when when it was all really evolving i mean i remember from the days remember they were putting the graphics on with basically these uh clear sheets with with the text on them <laughs> right and then right. you know right. then we got the cgs coming in it must have been uh yeah. fascinating at the time to see all of this taking place so it's like new toys coming along and then they started experimenting with green screens and You know, uh, so yeah, yeah, it must have been really. Was it just uh, really incredible to see how it all evolved over the years? And how much did input you know, were you able to say, hey, let's try this? Because I know that has never left you, but in those early days, did they give you the the free reign to to try different things with uh, the production (laughs) of these games? You know, it's interesting because.
1: You know that's a very good question because the answer to that is yes and no. Yeah. The no part of it came because some of the veteran people who had been there a really long time, and they were the pioneers of sports television. The yeah. names that you would know—they were Harry Coyle, yeah, was I was Teddy Nason, Harry they,
0: Coyle, who I just yeah. uh, admired so much. I had a chance; I got a chance to do uh, an interview with him way back when we were—I worked for Major League Baseball Productions—and I really right. I wanted to work for right. NBC Sports. That was my, and he was just incredible that guy was just amazing but anyway i digress a little bit here but uh, you mentioned no no you can digress it's yeah.
1: fun we have plenty of time to talk about the yeah. wrestling it, it was yeah i mean it, it was um it was a sp- it was a special time but they were you know a lot of those guys were sort of stuck in stuck in their way mm-hmm. and sometimes to get them to try different things like i tried for years and you know, I was I was a pioneer in, 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 in full time, real speed, normal speed replays. Yeah. I mean, I was the first one to do that. Yeah. I did it because I kept saying to people, why do we show speed in slow motion? If we're showing Dave Winfield go from first to third like, with that great, those beautiful strides that he had, you know, cutting the bases the way he did. Yeah. I mean, why are we showing that in slow motion? We are it in real speed. Nah, you can't do that. We can't do that. Well, why can't we? Because we hadn't done it. Yeah. Well, that doesn't mean we can't do it, right? I mean, down the line cameras was something that I mean, I pushed for that for the minute I was able to have some kind of credibility with the production people. We need to shoot down the line. That's a great shot. I mean, you get the batter, you get the third baseman if you're shooting, for the if it's the, you know, if it's uh, shooting down the third baseline, shooting down the first baseline, it's, it's the opposite, right? You get the first baseman. You get. It. I wanted that. I believed in that. Shot. I wanted golf shots, the shots they use in golf to track home runs. I wanted to do that took a long time. We put Corey Leibel in the uh, Red Sox Mets that was 86 on the wall in Fenway. Yeah. I mean, we, we did that. We were the first ones to do that. So I had input into that stuff. And later on, the pitch count, which I believed in, and I, we were the first ones to do that, first ones to do full-speed replays. Those are where the, I made an impact on the business for sure. And, you know, I, I we never did a Fox box when I was at NBC uh, Dick Ebersole, with Dick, well, I wasn't didn't did do baseball when Dick Ebersole, was there. Maybe the one year I did, and then I left when the, the NBC lost the baseball. Uh, was when I started my my couple of year odyssey, and that's when I do. I wound up working for the WWF for a little bit. But that but that time period uh, was really fascinating because it was when uh, when Fox came along, they really started pushing things because they believed they see, and this is where David Hill and Ed Gore and those guys were brilliant because of the audio. Audio, no one really worked on audio. So I'll I'll tell you a great, this is a great little story. And i told Reggie Jackson this story. If you go back and you watch the 1971 all-star game in Detroit, when, when uh, Reggie hits that monster home run, I'll call for doc Ellis. And later doc Ellis said he was on LSD, by yeah. the way, which is a little sidebar story. Interesting enough, right? Good for doc, I suppose. I don't know. I don't have a commissioner would have felt about <laughs> that, but anyway, so he gives up this monster home run to Reggie Jackson. It hit the light tower. You remember the home run, right? If mm-hmm. you go back, John, you can go back on YouTube like five minutes from now and do it. If you wanted to, you go back and you, listen to that listen to it that thing that ball sounds like it was shot out of a cannon yeah. and you know what that was that was one effects mic and i know because i know about this game it hung over this where the announce booth is behind home plate there was one and one mic and that mic picked up that ambient sound it wasn't so ambient because the crowd wasn't doing anything at the time and you could really hear that ball hit the bat. that was my first inkling it to, the audio could be great but you know what the speakers were small in TV sets they were really small when the equipment got better the innovations followed the equipment you need to you need to have that in your house right? you need to have a speaker system to appreciate that home run except when you hear that home run you know, my, my lord did he kill that ball yeah. that's the hardest hit ball to this day I don't know what the exit velocity would have been Sean but it would have broken it would have broken every speed record there ever was yeah. I mean that ball got shot out of a cannon yeah. and Fox was smart enough to realize that you know what this we could do something here. So they put mics in bases, and bases, they put mics in the walls, yeah. and we have all kinds of great audio. And you pick up conversations, guys having conversations on the bases, and stuff that you've never had before. They press the audio. They when you did a mix, Sean, which for for your audience, our audience, a mix means the, the announcers speaking and the, and the crowd noise. You want to have a balance. You don't want to have one drowning out the other. They they raised it. They raised the limits to the point where it almost challenged you to hear the announcers, and that's a little too high for my taste. But I knew what they're trying to do. They want to make you feel like you're in a ballpark. Yeah. They do auto racing. And you get that sound. You hear that. There's nothing like that sound. I did in the Indy 500 when I was at ABC. And that sound, Sean, of those, those cars going on a track is the most phenomenal thing you could ever hear. It's the most, it is so, I mean, you are there. When you're there, you're there, that's why people are attracted to that sport. And at home, TV never did justice to that until the sound came and then HD yeah. came along. And the speakers came along. The sound came along that allowed you to, to hear this on some level and get some real appreciation to what exactly was happening.
0: Yeah, and that's really interesting when you talk about these innovations. And and like you mentioned, the uh, real speed uh, replays. Where And then also, yes. you know, you did the ISOs, which, you know, you had an ISO camera and you would show the whole thing because everybody thought, oh, I've got to see yes. what's going on all the time. No, you don't. You know, you get, with the action, and like you said, a lot of this is just people saying, why not? Why can't we try this? And it's, and then uh, with the audio, and, uh, you know, we used to do, when I was with Major League Baseball Production, we did the film every year, and uh, we would, like, for example, Mike Tommy Lasorda, which you could never just let go live, which was a, <laughs> with a lot of the audio. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Jesus effing daughter. whatever. I, I have a great list. you want to hear a great yeah. list story? Great Sure. List.
1: So, I mean, I knew Tommy pretty well. I mean, because I would do a lot of the Game of the Weeks, and I did the World Series, and I, so I knew him pretty well, and I, I liked Tommy. Tommy, yeah. you, you could not like Tommy. He was just he was just a walking soundbite. He was the most personable guy yeah. ever, and he's just the, the world's greatest when it came to the media. He embraced the media like no one I've ever known. And so we, we were pretty good friends back in the day. And um, so... This is like the year after the war so I guess it's the spring after the they win in eighty. I guess it was the eighty ninth uh, preseason uh, spring trade. So NBC decides they want to put on some games and to to counter program the NCAA basketball that the CBS had on. You know, not that it's going to beat it, but it would maybe baseball fans had someplace else to watch. So it was the Mets and it was the Dodgers was the matchup, right? Yeah. And the Mets at the time had Tyler Strawberry, and the you know they had they had a pretty interesting team. So okay. So, so before it came, Tommy says to me, you know, we're just talking. He says, I said we wear a mic. And he says to me, and that was really taboo. Then people didn't wear mics. He goes, yeah, that's it's a spring training game. Then why not? He said you'd be careful. I said I'll be careful. Don't worry. I I, yeah. I know what to put on. Don't worry about it. So he puts a mic on, right? And he's and so he says he says to me about the third or fourth he and this game is terrible it's like it's a spring training game which means it's endemically horrible yeah. and then to take that on top of it it was it just was a boring endemically horrible game it just was not not good television so he says to me but to the cameraman he says, because he i can hear it's got the mic on and he says hey flip he says uh how we doing and i said hey tommy this is terrible i mean it's so boring i can't believe it yeah. so he says to me well what can we do i go i don't know it would help if you went out there and started an argument <laughs> now I said that a jest, okay. I really didn't mean for him right, to go yeah. out, but you know, if you say something to Tommy yeah. and he thinks it's a good PR opportunity, yeah, right. he was going to run with it. Yeah. So he says, next thing I know, the, 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 if he, there's a, a ball and a strike, and which we well, is immediate ejection. You know that if you if you, if you argue that, I guess in spring training, I mean, they might make an exception. I have no idea. Right. So so Tommy runs out, he starts arguing balls and strikes. I'm sitting there I'm like this is like unbelievable. <laughs> he's doing this. And then the, the home plate umpire says to him, who was, by the way, I believe it was Doug Harvey, I'm pretty sure it was Doug Harvey, the late, great Doug Harvey, yeah. says to him, goes, Tommy, this is a spring training game. The same for the regular season. Okay? What, are we, what are we arguing about here? And Tommy, he like, that's a terrible goal. What are you doing? The way you do so he throws him out. So, I don't know anybody's ever been thrown out of a yeah, spring, spring training thing. game. Ever. <laughs> ever. He throws Tommy out. So he gets back in the dugout and he says to the cameraman, who, who was talking to me, he says to the cameraman, he goes, how was that? How's that it was great he yeah. was okay good and he left so that was just, so that tells you spring training and, yeah. and any which way it was fun and he was, he was great he was one of the great people and yeah, i'm yeah. sorry i went on a sidebar no, no, today, I, but, but, I loved
0: hearing that because you know i produced yeah. uh four of the dodger highlight films and then i also did their 25th anniversary film and right oh that's so good, yeah yeah so i had my uh experiences with Tommy. And we, we sure. you know, needless to say, we were a pain in his ass a lot of the times. And a quick story for you on Tommy is that I was out there. We'd go out there for about like a week to shoot the wraparound stuff for the film, and uh, we'd go out there. And I had uh, we would put uh, you know music in with it. And at the time, there was that "You Look Marvelous" song that uh, Billy Crystal did for oh, yeah. Fernando yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had this great <laughs> idea great. that I would have uh, Steve Sachs, who I'd gotten to know pretty well, to right. do lip sync with the song and uh, I said you know I told Tommy I said look I want to do this little bit uh with the guys I'll do it you know before the game you know in advance and he's like okay what are you gonna do I said it's just a song and I'm gonna have them uh I didn't really give him any other details and so I'm out in left field with Steve and three of the outfielders and they're gonna be like the backup dancers I talked them into it and I had this Dodger blue ascot that I got and then I got this big gray wig and so I had given Steve the tape to take home the night before. I just lear- I said, "Just learn like the main chorus. There's like two things I need to really see you with your lips matching it. And I have this boom box. So I'm out in the outfield with them, and we're singing this we're doing the song, we got that playing and and the guys are behind him like doing the can can, and Steve is lip syncing the song with this a wig on and this you know, stupid looking ascot. And I see Tommy, come out of this dugout steps and he's kind of you know he looks he's look he's got his hands on his hips and he's looking and he sees what's going on out there and i hear, i i don't have to hear what words are coming out of his mouth and he's bow-legged you know he is and he starts kind of running towards me and so i got the camera guy with me and another uh, writer steve stern i think you remember him from uh, Major sure. League baseball but anyway i said I make yep. i said we got like one of the lyrics he's got to get this next one and so i start running towards tommy to cut him off and he <laughs> i get to him and he's kind of like looking over me and he's like what the have you? you know and just screaming at me and i look at steve and he's like we got it and i'm like tommy i'm sorry <laughs> but he ripped me and you know when he wanted to rip somebody Oh omg man. But yeah, anyway, I got, I got. we're supposed to be talking about uh, wrestling here at some point. Yeah, but uh, well, you and I, sure. really, we could talk all day. And uh, when you mentioned the 61 Yankees. I also uh, worked on that film with uh, Joe Levine. We both did that. Uh, and it was oh, yeah, a tremendous sure. experience. Joe Levine. But yeah. that's another conversation. Um, but getting to, and I just wanted to kind of lay the groundwork with uh, with the experience you had with network television and all the innovations you helped bring in. And one thing about Vince McMahon is that uh, when, he was, when he had decided that, you know, I've got to raise the level of my product and I can't do it with, you know, people that are from this wrestling world. They they have been used to doing these productions in, in local studios. And he said, I got to raise the bar. And the only way I'm going to do this, is I have to get people from outside of wrestling. And he went for right. network people. I mean, he knew that that yeah. was going to do it. and at the, And also any equipment that we need what kind of things do we need for effects yes. and, uh, so right. uh, let's get a little more specific on how that trail led to you and how I don't know if you had known Vince prior yeah i how did you ever met I know
1: i do him yeah. well i did the uh I, I i when i was when i was at nbc and it was like 1985 or something like that was when they did the, was the rock and wrestling connection.
0: Right, right. And that
1: was getting, they, they were using Cindy Lauper. And I said to the people at NBC Sports, I like, go, oh, this, is, this is really, this is not just a curiosity now, like some sort of niche, niche entertainment thing. This is like gone mainstream. And we should do something like we had a show called Sports World, which was a, you know, an anthology show with, you know, different sports. They, you know, it was like Wide World of Sports, except it was NBC's brand was, was Sports World. So you could do segments on certain things and features. So I said, we should do at the very least a feature, but we should do a, a whole couple of segments on this thing. Because it's really a phenomenon on this rock and wrestling connection. Right. And nobody really wanted to do it except me. So I talked well, Ebersole, a couple of people of into it. <laughs> yeah, Ebersol wasn't there now. Yeah. No, there was no Ebersol. This is yeah. pre-Ebersole. Eversol, right. So it was Mike Weissman. And I said to Mike Weissman, I said, Mike, I think we should do this. And Mike, Mike who was really smart and loved to push the envelope, he was like no one I've ever worked with, very few I've worked with, yeah. said, sure, that, would, that sounds great, go do it. And he sort of left it to me. And so there were a couple of segments to it, but the, I, I wound up producing with Costas and Bob Costas was perfect for this. So yeah. forget about what happened later on between him and Vince. That's a whole other story. But at the time, yeah. you know, Costas was the young, irreverent, you know, up and coming big time talent. And, you know, I had produced him for the NFL football show. So him and I, I did NFL live, which was, you know, I'm pregame postgame, you know, the rotating things that NBC did uh, when it had the, the NFL football package on Sundays and it's still in evidence today, in those shows. So I've worked with Costas on that and I did, did the backup game at the time before i wound up getting the bigger game and doing the world series i did the backup game with costas and gubeck on nbc so tony tony to all those guys i was tied with particularly costas so i mentioned this to costas he said oh i'd love to do it so we go down and we so we meet vince and we, we're doing the rock and wrestling we go down and we do one of the shows at the garden and we're taping our stand-ups and we're doing when we meeting the wrestlers and we're getting our sound bites and we're interviewing you know lou albano and mr fuji and you know the super flight and and and, and uh, uh the hulk and everybody you can everybody was anybody at the time were part of the show and the show was great we finished the show he really liked the show and we became friendly because he was literally where the wwf was then located was in greenwich it was on like uh it was literally like a mile from where i live so i would run into vince and linda all the time so yeah. i had a relationship with them and uh you know i, I established some kind of interest in wrestling with Vince because I had done the Rocket Wrestling Connection. And I pushed that. So that was one of the things that wasn't the only thing. There were many things that led to that explosion. But that certainly gave them, that was the first time they had been in NBC. That was their first time on, on our network really doing something that wasn't John Stossel, something not great related. Okay. Yeah, right. This was something that put them in a positive light. And Vince loved it because we were marketing his product for him. He loved it. So he couldn't be more. And Jimmy Hart, by the way, was also part of this, who mm-hmm. was working for, for Vince at the time in the, in the uh, office, believe it or not. I don't know if he was managing at the time. He may have been, but I'm not really sure. Anyway, so that's how I met Vince. And that's how I established my relationship with Vince McMahon.
0: Wow. And, um, uh you know at that time it was really really starting to blow up and uh you know it was becoming mainstream and and you helped that part of it by putting the product on network television which hadn't been uh, really you hadn't seen that happen since the 50s really And, and it was had you know come back big time and uh with you know hulk hogan and that whole wave just started
1: Oh, Piper, remember you had Roddy Piper, yeah, Roddy and, Piper you know, Wendy and... Richter, and I mean, all that. It, 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 it actually became part of lore. I mean, that to me was actually, if I go back, and I mean, I, if I went back, and you would be better at this, much better at this than I, Sean. If you went back and you looked at the you know last 50 years of wrestling or whatever, yeah. I mean, that, that, that movement, that time, Mr. T, Mr. T was, was incredibly important to what they were trying to do. I, I had actually worked with Mr. T on some other show, so I knew him too. So this, the idea of putting all these people together was, was great. And then Vince was smart. I mean, Vince knew how hot Mr. T was from the, and it, which actually I think he split to the A-Team or he was in the A-Team, Team. I, don't really, I, I don't remember this now what came first, it's like the chicken or the egg whether it was on the eight team or not whether that led to the eight team, I'm not really sure but yeah. Mr. T was, was big
0: well, and Vince realized that yeah. he
1: was pushing yeah. Wrestlemania so he yeah. wanted as many people as he could get that would help him sell wrestling and as mainstream as he could get. I mean, he had Billy Martin. I mean, Billy Martin used to, Billy Martin and I were friends, and he would tell me, I think I'm ringing, I'm like the timekeeper at ringside or whatever it was, something like that. Yeah. Um, so he had parts in wrestling Liberace, yeah, and Liberace. I mean, Liberace, they went, this yeah. was so smart. He's so far ahead of every every one of the other territorial systems that they had at the time yeah. vince really knew he was he went not only did he went network he went global i mean oh, yeah. nobody was doing that yeah. that's what made vince great you
0: know this well it's it was just an amazing time now, i came in in 87 and i too was an outsider i mean i had never really been involved in that world at all you know i grew up out yeah. in arizona we didn't have a whole lot of professional wrestling coming through and uh um, right so, I, you know, I was another, he, it was the same way with talent that they were bringing in. But Vince had this vision and, and uh, you know, it's never stopped. The guy's still, you know, putting in the 18-hour days. But uh, back then, no, it was just a, a fascinating to me because I had been involved in producing television uh, with Major right. League Baseball Productions. And I was just uh, astounded.
1: And you were great, by the way. You did a really good job. Yeah. I mean, I remember all the conversations. You, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but you were terrific. You were a terrific producer, and you really knew. You, I mean, there were a lot of things you could have done. I mean, I, I mean wrestling was one of them. That was just one of the things you, you wound up doing. But you had a lot of talent, Sean. You could have done anything you wanted to do. And, uh, and, and you and I would always talk baseball because when we'd have our downtime from the wrestling, which isn't very much because of you know, the, the demands of those jobs. But the reality is we would always find that was our common ground. We could always talk baseball.
0: Yeah, we still could. So we're going to have that beer someday. we got more stories to tell. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is the the, the fact, though, that, that Vince brought these people, and he knew that that was what was going to continue to raise the product. And, you know, he was right on the level. It got to a point, you know, with Kevin Dunn, who at that time was just, you know, edit one producer. That You know, Kevin was uh, a very right. creative guy. Yes, Uh, but they. It was basically all that stuff was being done in one room with him and uh, you know two other guys, a guy uh, you know uh, editing and uh, uh, Larry Rosen in in the audio booth. And And Mike,
1: I can't remember Mike's name. There was Mike somebody uh, uh, um,
0: Grossman. Grossman, yeah, Mike Grossman, Grossman, yeah. And uh, and that was that was it. And 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 that's another thing. As you mentioned, you ran it. You would run into Vince and Linda. Uh, in yeah. Greenwich. And I've, I've told people this as well. And you've lived in that area uh, pretty much your whole life. But when yep. Titan Sports, as they called it back then, um, we were a pretty small family. I mean, everybody knew each other. Uh, we all the production people knew each other. Uh, we all lived in that Stamford area. And even you know the salespeople, the marketing people. It was all you know. We knew Basil DeVito and all these guys. We we're it was a very small company in many ways. Even at that time, uh, today you know it's, it's just uh, unbelievable. But uh, back then, uh, when you were when you were there too, it was it was a pretty small company. So um, you know what led you to actually getting to the point where Vince said, "Hey, uh, would you come on and help us here?"
1: Well, what happened was. Uh... NBC lost the baseball yeah, and then there was no, there was no, that was it. And once they lost the baseball, I mean, that's principally, I mean, I did other things. I worked on a lot of different sports. I was a staff producer, but that was my great love. Yeah. Once that went away and I had, uh, we had been at war with, at CBS sports and the newspapers for, for years, NBC and CBS. Yeah. I mean, I, I endeared myself to the executives at CBS by one time saying the last original idea CBS had was I love Lucy and you know that that didn't exactly put me over well i wasn't in the words of getting put over i wasn't exactly put over there you know i was i'm you know i was always outspoken i said what i wanted to say and i uh you know, I, I I don't know that CBS wanted to hire me. They got the baseball and they they were going to have it for a couple of years. So that that when that ended, it was sort of like I didn't wasn't in love with. What was I going to do? I mean, I, I guess I could have worked on the Olympics and some stuff. And I'm not putting that down. It's a great thing. But I, my my strength was live television, not so much tape turnaround and things like that. So you know, I, I Vince knew Eversole and Eversole and Vince were friends. Yeah. And so Eversole told him of my you know my uh, discontent, if you will. And um, and I was leaving. I was leaving, you know, whether I wasn't going to be renewed at NBC for, for those reasons or I was leaving on my own. It, it was clear that I didn't, that my career path for the things I really wanted to do was, was sort of blocked. So I, uh, I was open to hearing things and then Vince approached me and said, would you become my executive producer? And because again, he knew me from the rock and wrestling shows. And yeah. so I, uh, and we had gotten along really well. I mean, really well on those shows. So I said, you know, I thought about it for a little bit. I said, what, you know, I'll try it. What the heck? And, uh, I, uh, and that, that was, you know, that it wasn't, you know, like I said, Sean, I, there's a lot to talk about here. I don't, I don't look at it as a, as a time of my life where I, uh, I uh, I look back on it, and it's it's an interesting time. It was it was it had a lot of opportunity, and it was a lot of fun sometimes. And some sometimes it was disappointing, and it was a lot of difficult work, and it was a culture that didn't really fit me.
0: Yeah,
1: and that, and that's the thing you see in a job like that. And it's different now because I know Michelle Wilson, who's now one of the big uh, the big executives at the WWE. Uh, he's a, she's a very good friend of my family. My wife is on the board of Make a Wish. I'm going back on the board of Make a Wish. She's on the board of Make a Wish. So we know her pretty well now. We have an event every year in Greenwich that raises a lot of money for for Make a Wish, mm-hmm. and so. We've become friendly with her, so we, we. But she's totally separated. Their executives now are totally separated from the wrestling. Yeah. They run the business as the business, and the wrestling part of it is run well as the wrestling part of it. And that's kind of the way. That's actually pretty smart because my experience there was as, as, as an outsider, it was very hard yeah. to crack the culture. That, that was my biggest, my biggest obstacle, and, and let, ultimately led to me leaving.
0: Yeah, and and I was going to uh, you know mention that that it, it, as I said it was this small, a relatively small company at the time. And I experienced right. the same thing coming in uh, that, it, you know, if people uh, understand the wrestling world, it is, it is a very uh, different place. Uh, you have to, it, it, in many ways, it's like uh, the mafia and <laughs> without the whacking and the killing <laughs> or that, uh, you know, but you know what I'm <laughs> oh, saying? That's you know, it's even whole... then some, Sean. Even yeah. that's some. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, you know, it's a different world. And you have to, I mean, thank God I had Lord Alfred Hayes and I had, uh, you know, right. Gorilla right. Monsoon, who took uh, me yeah. under their wings. And thank God, because they uh, looked out for me. And they also gave me tremendous advice. You know, just keep your mouth shut. When the ribs come, just let them happen. Don't, uh, you know, and laugh about it. Keep moving. Uh, don't yeah. ever And, you know, don't ever think you're one of the boys. You never will be, you know. And that is what, and I just basically laid low. I mean, I just did my job, showed up, was very respectful, respectful of the boys and the business. But I'm sure as you learned very quickly that uh, it it was a very closed world in a lot of ways, especially with the people who were running things because it wasn't this giant corporation. You had people that, uh, you know, had been used to running production and then somebody else coming in and trying to give him ideas. And they're thinking, well, he doesn't know wrestling. How could he, you know? So how, how tough was it for you to try and, uh, try and bring some innovations that might help the product?
1: It was really, it was very tough. I mean, because no one really wanted to bend and, you know, it, it, and ultimately, well, there's a couple of things. Number one, you, you get sandwiched in, in between Vince McMahon and 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 the uh, people who were doing the television production, and I right. was sandwiched right in the middle because you know the reality is that Vince McMahon, I mean he's one of the great. I mean he's one of the geniuses of all time. I can I can give you business props all day about Vince McMahon. Also personally, I like Vince McMahon. Even though I like I wound up, wound up I wound up leaving there after two years, and I don't know that I left on the best terms, the best of terms, or whatever. But yeah. I I still to this day have a lot of respect for him. But the reality is that I just did, I didn't fit. I was trying so hard to bring some of this. I mean, I hired Dave Shahadi, who was one yeah. I, I thought was right on the cutting edge at NBC. He didn't get he was doing promos. He was buried in promos. Yeah. And I hired him to come over and develop a look for that I they used for many, many years yeah, and their teases did. and their opens and yeah. you know, it was like I wanted to do things like that, but it was very hard for me to because I ran into a lot of stone walls. There were people who had been there who knew the wrestling world. I didn't really know it. I mean, I'd worked on a couple of specials. I really liked I really liked wrestling, but I didn't it wasn't in my bloodstream like it was in Kevin Dunn's bloodstream or Bruce Pritchard's bloodstream. But yeah. that's in their DNA and that's their passion. You know, it wasn't it wasn't my passion. My passion was sports television. My Passion was entertainment. I enjoyed wrestling, but it wasn't my passion. So you know, and again, so you run into like sort of roadblocks along the way. Even some of the wrestlers that uh, I remember going going down to do promos with the ultimate warrior. And, you know, that was like not a lot of fun. I got to tell you, it wasn't like, that wasn't, I don't look back on that and say, wow, that was a good time. You know, it was like some of the guys were great to work yeah. with. Uh, some They really were. Bobby yeah. Heenan was, was oh. a friend of mine even long after, almost to the day he died, Bobby Heenan and I were friends. Yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, I made friends there. It just It's just hard to connect with a culture that is very much a kayfabe Culture. I mean, I didn't even, what I know about kayfabe, I had to learn all those things. It's a, carny, it's a carny world, okay? And I didn't come from that world, and I wasn't used to that world. And it was hard for me to relate to it. It was hard for me to, to cut through on it. It was hard for me to, to bring the innovations I really wanted to bring them that I, I know I could have if I had a, the time. But more importantly, if I had the cooperation, I didn't get cooperation. I was like stonewalled by some people. And, you know, they, whether they feared me, they didn't, they, they didn't want to report to me, they didn't want to work for me they did this before i even started i had i ran into roadblocks there so yeah. you know not everybody some people came around some people didn't some people left uh because i said i can't work with them and they left uh and uh, subsequently came back and i mean it caused all kinds of the chaotic world i mean it, when you work for vince you know the 10 o'clock meeting is three o'clock in the afternoon the three o'clock meeting is seven o'clock at night but, yeah. i mean it's a it's a world of you just have to sort of go in, you buckle your seatbelt, and you don't know when that ride the ride is going to take you anywhere. You don't know where it's going to go. You don't know where it's going to stop. You don't know how long it's going to go on. That was the world. That's the world of Vince McMahon. And, again, I don't say that. With, I don't, I'm not saying this with any kind of bitterness. There is no reason for me to be, be bitter. I learned a lot in those two years. I've done a lot subsequently. So you know, whatever. I've done what I was meant to do and what I was supposed to do. But I did enjoy my time there. And, and, and in the aggregate, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from Vince you cannot help but be around Vince to learn a lot from him. He's the most brilliant marketer of all time. I don't. I, PT Barnum could learn a lot from Vince McMahon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, like his, his schedule, and you can't uh, go against it because that's how he lives. And he just expects everybody else to do the same thing. <laughs> it's true. It's I mean, true. You know, Pat it Patterson really and Bruce basically lived at his house. I mean, it's just. That's right. Oh, they like, did. And I'm sure you spent a lot of time there you know, for these they're, meetings. They're lifers, Sean. Yeah. They're lifers. That's, that's their thing.
1: That's, that's what they grew up with. That's their love. I mean, that's, and that, they will embrace that to the day that they die. No. And you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what you should be. When you do a job, you should have that kind of professional dedication to it, that passion, that love for it. I mean, I, I had that love for it for the network stuff that I did. I yeah. had that love for baseball. I didn't quite have that for wrestling. They did. And that's what uh, you know what? At the end of the day, that was my greatest takeaway was, when you're going to do something, you do it because you love it. Don't do it because you think it's a novelty. To me, it was almost like I did it almost as a novelty and I shouldn't have. I mean, because I should have taken it more seriously than I did. Um, but I worked, I mean, what, see, but after a while, I just got, I almost got beaten down by that system because I couldn't crack it. Yeah. I didn't know how to go about it. I didn't have people who took me under their wing. I didn't really have much of that. A couple of people, were, were, I'd say, were, couldn't have been better, really nice. Some people were just great to me. And a lot of them were just, that was just their world, you know, and they were protective of it. I understood it. I mean, I, like I said, I, I look back on it actually fondly, as more so than anything else.
0: Yeah. But I think at that time, People, that, you know, and I, I, I know it's changed since then because they have so many people from many different worlds of production and that. But at the time, there was, there was this resentment, kind of this network resentment when people would come in like that. And I know I remember, you know, you had uh, brought in uh, kind of a team for you. Yeah, I re- even remember some of the names. I mean, like Johnson McKelvey, I remember was one yes, of the guys.
1: Yeah, and, and Mary Sebastiani and Jelson, Johnson McKelvey. Yeah,
0: and, and, and Terry. Terry
1: Glotzer, who, by the way, is a is a is a multi billionaire mogul now, yeah. with running several companies. Yeah, to I me, mean, oh. I brought in some interesting people, but yeah. and, and you know they were they were they were the right people. They just right. didn't have they didn't have an opportunity to to sort of show what what they could show because I think the other part of the job is also there's a lot of impatience when you work for Vince. Vince is not a patient person. You know, he wants what he wants and he wants it right away. (laughs) We don't get it right away. There's usually trouble in, in River City. And I think that that was part of it too. So there was a lot of, I was trying to do a lot all at once and this was not going to be accepted either piecemeal or all at once. So that was, that was problematic obviously, but uh, it it made It made their working there difficult, but there was a lot of opportunity and Vince did see you if you could get Vince and you could actually talk to him pin him down and he saw things. He saw things like, like I said about the, about, you know, Dave Sahai. he saw how brilliant Dave was yeah. and how, what Dave could give him. And he couldn't do anything. nobody, even Kevin Dunn, who by the way was, was the right person to, to run the television production as it turned out. He absolutely was. Yeah. But at the time he wasn't, he wasn't at the time he didn't, he didn't he have ready. that kind of experience. Yeah. Right. He wasn't quite ready. Uh, and, and he actually he proved himself up more than capable of doing the job. He's done a great job for, uh, over the years. But, but having said that, at the time he wasn't. But those, well, those were the people that he needed to make an imprint. That's what he needed to break through from a TV. If he wanted to separate himself from the other territories and everybody else that was doing wrestling at the time, he, he, everybody was doing it the same way. It was <laughs> take it you know, down and dirty, get it done, throw it at, the, do it at a local station. It was all to sell the house card. Everything was done to sell the house which has now changed dramatically. That business is now nothing about the house money anymore. It used to be about how many people they could draw into an arena, right? Phil, that's all that was about. Everything that they did, all the, the, you know, getting the jobbers in the ring. And I didn't... See, that's what I didn't get right away. I said, oh, you should put a graphic in on the jobber's name, and you should celebrate the jobber because he's in the ring. No, the jobber was there to do a job. He was there to get squashed. Was that was with his job, right? I See, I didn't get that stuff right away because I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't versed in it. And that's, you know, that's again, that was, that was on me for sort of getting into something that I wasn't. I mean, when I got into things, usually I knew what the hell I was getting into. That I really didn't know what I was getting into. And, that's, again, that was on me.
0: Yeah, and uh, uh, you, you mentioned there about the house gates. That's basically how they made the money. That's how the boys got paid. And Lord knows I knew that better than anybody because I was the one in that studio for days at a time just doing the you know the event center. Oh, my God. It's yeah, true. <laughs> think about true. it. But it, it's amazing how it evolved over the years. What was the name of that woman, Sean? Uh, she was a great lady. She worked for you. She was a producer.
1: Uh, really sweet. Tracy? She w- Wanted to move into San Francisco. Tracy, right? Yeah. Tracy? Yeah, I can't yes she's me. great great
0: thanks yeah that was that was a boy that was at a factory and uh i would be in there from you know monday till <laughs> thursday and then howard would call and say uh you know the berserker hurt his his leg he's gonna be out for you gotta do 20 markets over i'm like <laughs> that's right i don't know that's how funny. i lasted as long as i did but uh, what was it, though, that when, when it really started to go downhill and you said, yeah, maybe yeah. I should be looking for an exit here, what was the what was the end uh, of that?
1: Well, there were two things. There was a, a person there who was, um, I was instrumental, and in, in, in now he's got the most popular podcast, I think, in history, it was Bruce Pritchard, and we didn't yeah. get along. So I, I was instrumental in him moving on, which he did for about a year and a half. And he would call Vince a lot, and, you know, Vince, so Vince, Basically brought him back, and I was still there. That didn't sit well with me at all. So that was that was part of it. And the yeah. other part of it was when we went to SummerSlam, and and it, we went to Wembley, I believe. And it was like, it was great. It was a wonderful oh, atmosphere. It was a lot of fun to work it. But uh, Bobby Heenan was working with Vince, and you know, Bobby Heenan was not giving Vince what he was looking for. And Vince was very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was very assertive in what he wanted. And I told him on the, and I went to the IFA and I said, Vince, stop this. You're not getting this anywhere. This is, you're making, you're just making this worse. Stop. Calm down. Everybody needs to come from the same place. Well, you know, this is Vince's show. And uh, you don't say that to Vince. So, you know, I uh, I made that mistake, if you will. But it wasn't a mistake. It's my personality. Well, it's, yeah, it's not like so. that
0: you've ever changed that, uh, how you.
1: No, I really haven't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I right. went into it with that and I left with that and I still have that. I mean, yeah. I know what I wanted right. and I know what. You don't want to. When in certain situations, it doesn't. It you know, you, you doesn't pay to up to take the apple cart and turn it upside down. And so he was doing that. So that so we had a difference there. And like I said, bringing Bruce back, which. You know, I guess for the business and for Vince, it was the right move for me in there. It was not not a good sign, and I didn't sit well with that. By the way, I was very open about it. It wasn't like I hid any of this. I I was very open to Vince. (laughs) I said it for my control, I think, that I didn't want him back. And he was there right when I said it to his face. So it wasn't like something I hid. But, you know, but again, that's that's like water under the bridge. It's a long time ago. And he's come on. He's done good things. And he deserves his success. And uh, I know he's doing the Friday night show on Fox, and I I hope it's successful uh, because he knows his stuff. And... You know, he's been through battles. His family's been through battles with cancer. My family's been through battles with cancer. So sometimes those things, at the time, they seem like it's all, at the end of the world is yeah. nothing and it's everything. It really doesn't mean anything in the big scheme of life. What matters is sort of a, that you learn from certain things and you, you, if you go on to something else, you put those lessons that you've learned and, and you apply them in a way that sort of makes sense and is good for everybody involved. And I was lucky enough to, to, to move on to, to things that I was you know, should have done. Again, But again, I don't look back on... On this. I keep saying the same thing. I don't look back on this with any kind of real bitterness at all. I'm not bitter at all. I mean, it was just, I wish I could have been better at what Vince wanted because I felt like I disappointed him because I, I've never really been in a job where I disappointed people. I never did. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, I felt like I disappointed him because I didn't know the business the way I should have known the business to take that job. I didn't, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't think I did a bad job. I just don't think I did the job that he was expecting and that I was capable of giving if in fact I had the proper education and foundation to do that job. I had the production jobs. There's no doubt I had that. I just didn't have the wrestling experience, which I think goes hand-in-hand hand with that job. I think it's necessary to have that. Bruce had it, and certainly Kevin Dunn had it in spades. So, you know, they, they they deserve their success.
0: Well, and and there's no way you could have been prepared unless you actually came from that world. Nobody is. And and there are two humans on this planet who are Vince Whisperers, and uh, and there's not, you know, people that can work with him year after year after year. And uh, Kevin was always one of those guys. I even remember when we would be in edit one or something and and Vince would come over and you never knew when he was going to, you know, show up and do whatever he was going to do. And Kevin always just knew the right thing, not just to say, but to do, you know, like just sit back, let him do this. Or when he could go in and tell him, no, you got to do this, do that, do it this way. And I, that's been one of the keys to his success. Besides the fact he's a very talented individual but it it takes a special human being to be able to uh, be around Vince for you know an extended period of time. Pat Patterson is another one of the guys, but that's pretty much it, you know. And, Sean, if you said to me, if you said to me,
1: uh, you're going
0: to work with Bob Costas tomorrow, yeah, and which you know,
1: I wound up doing actually when Michael Kay was out, was out, who's our principal play-by-play man. And yes, we went out with a throat had a throat situation. He missed about a month or two, and I had to do. Sort of fill it in the time. I had to get play by, some play by play people, some were on staff, some weren't. Yeah. I brought in Bob Costas, and I hadn't worked with Bob Costas in God knows how many years. And we had worked together at nine years at NBC, but I knew exactly how to produce him. I knew exactly yeah. where to go because we had worked together so long. Well. Yeah. Worked with Vince Scully, a great great talents oh, of all time man. and maybe the best player ever yeah. and I worked with him I knew exactly how to work with him and how to produce him and that is so critical I mean yeah. I could give you a whole litany about Joe Buck and a lot of other people I work with yeah. but it's not about that it's about understanding knowing their personalities right. and their temperament and knowing sort of let them cool off when they have a bad moment just let them go get out of your system all right you're done good we can pick it up from there it's knowing you know what buttons to push and how to push them and how to get the best out of people and not only that comes with knowing the person. And I, I mean, I knew Vince on some level. I did not know him on a professional level. I knew him on a personal level. I had worked with him, like I said, on that rock and wrestling thing, but that was different. He was more a a promoter back then than he was. He wasn't a talent. He was a promoter, and he was sort of happy that NBC had shown an interest in his product. So it was a different relationship. But when you actually work with him, you really have to know him, and they knew him. Kevin Dunn really knew him, and I think that was the key. You're right. Kevin had talent, too. You're right. But I think also the fact that he knew him. He knew to let Vince go. He knew you didn't interrupted about this. He knew what to say to him, what not to say to him. Because again, Vince used to describe himself, he described himself to me like this. He said, he used to call himself a benevolent dictator. That's what he would call himself. And and then when I was leaving, I said to him, well, I got the dictator part. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <This one. laughs> but, yeah. and again, so again, I could do that, and I could say that because it's what I felt, and it's the way that evolved but but you know again it's it's such a closed world, and that's why I really enjoy your show, and I've listened to some other shows i i mean i I listen to a lot of things, I watch a lot of things, and I'm in the podcast now, I have a podcast that I do. Uh, it's fun. I enjoy that. It's, it's, not a, it's, it's small. It's a small thing, but I, like, I enjoy doing it, mm. and it gives me an education and an understanding about what you actually have to do to do that. So again, that broadens your horizon, so when we start doing that as a business, and yes, which we are, I understand it better because I've been involved in it that's the whole point of anything is when you do it and you gain expertise at it that you can then take those expertise and apply them in a way that sort of makes sense to either better the business that you're in or you know to take it to some, the next level or whatever you have to do that comes from experience and you only get that you can only do that in the wrestling business if you're actually in a ring or around a ring Kevin was around a ring Bruce was in a ring right. you know so they they got that I and mean, you know a lot of other people Nelson Swagler, who was really actually he never got enough credit whatever Vince would say, I need to blow up a car or whatever he yeah, needed right. to do, yeah. whatever he wanted to yeah. do. He'd find Nelson, and Nelson, you know, five yeah. minutes before, Nelson would find a way to do you it. And camel. then a would be critical of him. <laughs> okay. Right. yelling at him. <laughs> right. But he would do it. Yeah. I mean, all this crazy stuff that Vince would come up I need yeah. to blow up this, I need to do this, yeah. I need to stage some acrobatic whatever. Nothing would, I need fireworks, I need whatever I need. He'd find a way to get it done. And it was like remarkable and no notice whatsoever. And, you know, and I know Vince would always, like, God, God, God damn it, God damn it, Nelson. God damn it. I mean, he'd he find some, something to yell at him about. Yeah. But, but he was really good at what he did. And that's, you know, when you have a small operation, and they were small, they were so small. I mean, I only realized how small they were because my son Pierce, who uh, was uh, the vice president of a digital media company, and he did some work with the WWE. So he wound up getting, you know, they gave him tickets to WrestleMania. So he said, Dad, you want to go to WrestleMania? I said, you know, what? I'd like that. So uh, Johnny Ed, who's his brother and my, my other son, we three of us went. We had, they gave us great seats. We had a great time. We had a backstage pass. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I went backstage. And this went on, I am telling you, Sean, it went on for miles. I saw people with real costumes, they were taping all these different pre-tapes for all these different shows and all these different specials and things that they were working on. I cannot tell you it blew me away, Sean. How many people there were. I mean, there were a lot of people we did TV tapings. We thought it was nothing it's, that 's like talking about single a baseball you know compared to the World Series. Yeah. The difference was like night and day, I cannot get over the scope of what this has become. The billions and billions of dollars that this business is worth now I, It just blows me away that I mean, you saw the you saw actually the beginning of that ascent. And, and as did I, I, but the, where it got and where it exceeded is just beyond belief. And that's why they write all these books about it. and They have podcasts about it.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, along your journey, uh, you know, we, we talk about, uh, failures and, and some of that can be the greatest teacher in your life and can benefit you, uh, tremendously. And I know you took value along the way, everything you've done. What did you take away from that experience and, Did it help you in other ways uh, as you, you know, went beyond the WWF?
1: Yes, I took a lot away, actually. Uh, Personally, my takeaway personally was that, you know, network people, the world does not rise, and the the whole world, the sun does not set on network shoulders, you know. It isn't because you come from a network doesn't make you, it gives you a lot of experience, a lot of insight. That was certainly applicable to me, especially when we started Yes. Because this was going to be a regional, a large one, albeit, but still a regional sports network. But but I brought network sensibilities to a regional sports network. But I didn't bring a network attitude. And by that I mean there were a lot of people who work at networks, and I was one of them, who I think would go into someplace like the WWE and think that because I came, I had I'd done all these things, I had all these big credits, I did all these big shows, that somehow that made me sort of better than someone at least production-wise. I'm not talking about personally. I've never lived my life personally like that. But professionally. And you know what? It gave me more experience. It gave me an edge that they may not have had because I had that experience but it didn't certainly make me better. So I... I took that away. I said, you know what, my, I, the attitude, not that I had a bad attitude, but I did have an attitude, at least in a production sense, a, a television sense, that I was superior. And you know what, I, I just had different experiences. It didn't make me superior. Mm-hmm. So that was something, that was a big takeaway personally for me. And it was an eye-opener for me, and I'm sort of glad it happened. I never mm-hmm. really had comeuppance. Of any kind, and in a way, this was comeuppance for me you know it wasn 't on a, uh, some major scale, but it was come to me enough where I learned I, I, I took lessons, life lessons mm-hmm. out of there, in, just in sort of relating to people better, and again, I, I was always personable. But, you know, the kayfabe thing got to me and some things got to me. But I did learn how to, I I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? I think to treat people a little kinder than maybe I should have. I should have treated people a little bit better there. I I wasn't abusive to anybody. I was nothing like that. But I wasn't always in sync with the people there, uh, especially when things were not going well. Because I, you know, I I just resisted the fact that they weren't going well. And I should have sort of... uh, Oh, I don't know. just been a little bit more lateral, I think, about things. And I, it wasn't lateral. So I took that away from a personal sense from my time with that. And from a professional sense, I took away how brilliant Vince McMahon is and how brilliant a marketer. I keep saying the same thing, but I was able to use that ability to market and sell. I mean, I took, we've done things subsequently only because of my working with Vince. You know, catcher cam. So, you yeah. know, the pitch by pitch sequences. And when I would do interviews to, to pitch the World Series, I didn't have to, have to sell World Series or Super Bowl. But when I was doing those events, I would take things like that. I would call them something, alliterations, and yeah. I would market them. Yeah. Other guys would go in and they'd say, well, we have 15 miles of cable. We got That's great. Nobody cares about that. Right. I would try to find something that I could stick a hook in, the same way Vince would have a hook to sell WrestleMania or the World Rumble, or whatever. There would always be some hook he had. I realized you had to have a hook to sell, what, and because nobody could sell like Vince, yeah. so what would I do? Like I said, I would come up with all these alliterations. You know, whether it was again the catcher cam, pitch by pitch, super shot, which was just a tight shot of a ball with a, a dedicated shot on a base or a ball, yeah. you know, to give you that tight close up instead of just saying it's a tight close up. I said uh, it's super shot, yeah. and the papers would run with it. They'd love it. all. Vaughn Phillips came up with super shot. Yeah. It was nothing. It was, but it was me taking that 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 that. Pension for knowing, understanding how to take something and make something more prominent of it than it really was because you put a label on it and you kept saying it and you kept pushing it. The same way Vince would sell local talent or sell yeah. wrestling or sell his cards, his pay-per-views, I took that away. That, to me, that really was so instrumental in my career later on. That It didn't have to do with anything with that in the truck. It had nothing to do with that talent. That's a different talent. But this expanded my reach because it gave me the ability to understand and to sell product which no, producers didn't have that when, when I was producing. And even when I went back and I was in management, producers didn't have that. I was able to teach that to a lot of people. Sell the event. Sell it. It isn't just sitting in a chair and calling replays and getting in your graphics and things and working with the talent. That's, that's interesting enough. But it's selling the event. When you have a newspaper guy there and you're, you're pushing what you're doing, why is this special? Why is this different from whatever? How do you cut through the clutter? Vince taught me how to cut through clutter. That's what made that so fascinating and so important. And that's what that's that's my takeaway professionally. But in terms personally, I told you what it was. Professionally, it was the ability to cut through clutter and to market. That was my takeaway.
0: You know, and also uh, going beyond there, and then you would go to work for uh, for Fox Sports yes. and uh, spend some mm-hmm. time there. But um, you know, you, you got involved with the, the baseball network, and then of yes. course, yes. Did you yep. see uh, early on though that there was the market to have a niche uh, 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 network, you know that uh, that would be successful, what like, like we've seen today? Because Absolutely. that was that was early on before. We, Absolutely,
1: yeah. I I I believe that's why I took the, the job with George, because I really believe that they, there was a niche that you could take. The Yankees, for instance, would kind of, the Yankees, are such a broad product. I mean, yeah. you're not talking, you're not talking the, you know, uh, the Shreveport, Louisiana baseball thing. Come with the Yankees, okay? That's global. But the idea that you could create their own talent, why not? Why couldn't we do that? If we had the content, why not? You just have, again, market it, put it together, market and sell it. That came, that, that ability, I that stuff I learned from Vince, marketing that, put that together. Mm-hmm. But, but I saw that. I did see that. And I I mean, if I had stayed, that would have been a big pitch for me. The Vince would have been, you need your own network. Yeah. You could launch your own network. It is possible. Because you don't need, you don't need millions of people. You right. need thousands of people right. for him to be successful for, in terms of what he was doing, his niche. The Yankee niche is much larger than the WWE's niche. But having said that, it's still, it, there's still a niche there. And to be, to, the idea of putting it together and having it be its own channel in its own place, to me, had made nothing but sense. That's why I took the Yankee job, because it made too much sense for me not to take it.
0: Yeah, and look at how many years in now. Boy, 18, 18 now. Isn't, isn't yeah. that amazing?
1: Well, and, uh, great
0: and, place. and and flip my last question here. And, uh, you know, uh, reading articles about you and uh, just knowing you. And I, I mentioned early in the podcast how I valued those conversations. We didn't just talk baseball. You really helped me as a talent and gave me a confidence that I didn't have initially uh, there and, and helped me grow that. But uh, when you read articles uh, from people that you've worked with, a lot of the and baseball announcers, and they talk about how uh, you're very firm about what you want from somebody um, and you can deliver criticism, but at the same time, you, you also uh, deliver a lot of props to these guys. And so, I mean, to a lesson to people out there, because I wish more people who are in your position you know, or in management understood uh, how that can work, because I think a lot of them think, you know, you don't realize all this negative stuff you're dumping on people. And if you don't give a, a positive to them, give more positive, uh, you know, uh, uh, delivery to them on things that they do, it it doesn't give you a happy employee. It doesn't give you a, a, a talent that's going to perform exceptionally well for you. So what is your philosophy uh, behind that? Well,
1: I think I think you, you pretty much explained it. I, I, I really look at it and say uh, – I look at a performance and I'll see things in it that can get better, you know. But I think if you go and you to present that to somebody and you say, hey, these are three things you need to work on. And you really need to work on one and two. more You need to work on three, but you need to work on those three things. And you don't say something positive. You know, I mean, I always try to look for. In some cases, it's easy because there's a lot of positives there. In some cases you have to hunt a little, but you always bring up the positives and say, "Look, I really think your strength is. I think you know you're really good on the fly. I think you're uh, you're good at interpreting traffic that's in your ear. You know, I think that you have great knowledge of the sport. You know, you know. However, I think that. Uh, you know, doing interviews is not something that uh, is your immediate strength. It could be one day if you work on shortening your questions and you work on, uh, you know, having more eye contact and following up with what is being said, as opposed to thinking about what your next question is you have to listen more. Yeah. So you need to listen more and you need to, you know, I mean, so I would take, like I would expect, find the positives that I could. And then if I, again, I would get around to the couple of things they needed to work on with the idea that, you know, that way, because there is positive usually in almost all performances, like anything else. I mean, you could find usually there's good and there's sometimes there's not so good but you have to give you have to balance it and I realized like you mentioned I think I realized that if I just did negatives then all you're going to do is have a down I mean if, if I, I put myself in the talent shoes or if somebody just giving me negatives about my performance then you know I must be terrible at it so why, why am I doing this and I must be awful then I don't have any confidence and then where are we going so you know you, you don't want to you don't want to make a, take a situation that you know that uh, you want to make, take a situation and turn it sour that's the thing you want to do but you need to be you need to be honest in your critiques but the by the way the way they expect that people respect your honesty is that if you tell them stuff and you also give them the positives then they respect that maybe what is could be as a little bit negative it's really not about that it's it's not about negatives and positives it's just giving them an overview of performance but make sure that it's, it's a balanced overview so you know they don't get too high when things are going great, and you don't get too low when they're going when they're not going so great. There's an evenness there, and there's a steadiness there. I mean, that's one of the things. Like I said, I mentioned about time with Vince. I mean, I really was firm about that. He wasn't helping the situation any, and I, he didn't want to hear it. So, I mean, so that I mean, that sometimes that blows up, but but in most cases, it's a matter of just being just being even and being honest. Because I think being honest with it, it means a lot. Because again, if you're going, you have to have integrity with what you do and what you say. Uh, honesty is very important to, because you can't have integrity with honesty. You have to be honest and you have to tell people what you're thinking. And again, you don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. You don't have to stand on a soapbox. You don't have to say, you know, give a performance that's going to go on the Hallmark channel. Uh, you don't have to do anything like that. You just have to be, people have to respect you and respect that you, what you're coming from is a place of, you want to make them better. I think when they, once they understand that and they appreciate that, there's all kinds of great communication. You, those lines of communication are open forever.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, you hit it, too, is when you said that, uh, you know, that honesty. And it's not like every conversation you have with them, if you develop that relationship and they know that's who you are, that you don't have to, when you have the conversation, you don't have to say, okay, this is what you uh, are doing great. And now I've got these things I have to tell you that you need to work on because you can ream their ass uh on a time cuz they know when if you call them and that's what you then there's something boy uh, i really need to work on you didn't need to put the positive because i know that when i do something that you like you're going to pick up the phone again too and you're going to say dude man that was i that was awesome uh, you know whatever what, you know whatever i don't know what you're thinking right. there when you did or but right. that, you know that's true. and that's all you have to do but uh i i think it really uh I, when are you writing the book? Because not only do you have great <laughs> stories. Really. Oh no, 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 really? Sean! I really, never?
1: That. No, I've been asked that. A couple of people have asked me that uh, about books and stuff. I mean, oh my, my! Especially my years with George Steinbrenner. Oh my! Oh good lord! <laughs> um, I love
0: maybe George when Steinbrenner. Maybe when you when you're, you're done, when it's you're great, huh? What's that, sorry, Sean? I'm sorry. I said maybe when when you decide one day that you're uh, you know you're you're actually going to retire, maybe. You might, no. Uh, Never tell you the know, stories. But here's
1: the thing, Sean. You know, I, I was I learned so much. I was told so many things whether the whether incompetence was either overtly stated in some sort of agreement or yeah. not mentioned at all but it sort of implied I respect certain things with just inconfidence and you know everybody wants salacious you know the only thing that sells books or sells things is like, I want a I want the worst story I want to. I want a story yeah. that you can sell make headlines in the newspapers and, and you know what I, I you know I'm, I'm sure I have a few of those somewhere but I that's not what I want to do I mean that's not what I'm about and I'm not built like that I don't you know I, I've, uh, I've enjoyed where I've been I've enjoyed the, the people. Most of the people I've worked with have just been phenomenally great people, and they have taught me. Maybe I've taught them some things, but I know they've taught me a hell of a lot more. And wherever you get, you, wherever I've gone, I've gone on the shoulders of some great people. So I, I feel. That you know whatever was said or whatever we did we shared was uh, was sort of something that sort of st- stays between us and I don't know that the whole world needs to know maybe the world would be fascinated by some of it you know especially the more famous a person when someone's really famous that the world has a way of looking at fame and just you know uh, wanting to uh, dissect fame every which way possible and absorb it and some ways be critical of it and some days praise it I don't know fame is a very is an intoxicating thing particularly in our in our society yeah. but I you know I, I I've uh, I've been lucky enough to work with great people and you know and uh, i would just assume uh, leave those things where they are and yeah. say in the aggregate i thank everybody i've worked with including you because you were great to be around and i enjoyed my time with you and my takeaways are all you know for the most part all always good and i and that's the way of my life and i prefer to live with left of it like that
0: yeah how many people can say that i work for vince mcmahon and george steinbrenner
1: <laughs> That's pretty, and funny. don't have ulcer,
0: don't have an ulcer I don't <laughs> know. <live> to tell. <laughs> the tail I don't, don't know how the many text.
1: people live to tell that, although I must tell you though i guess I praised Vince, and I'm going to take thirty seconds and praise George Steinbrenner, oh, because uh, he was uh, I think what's happened to him and not being in the baseball Hall of Fame is a travesty I've said that on Michael Kay's radio show I've said it in newspapers I've said it in anybody Harry Coyle too and Bill Webb and people like that who should be in the Hall of Fame the, the Cooperstown version of it yeah. they take writers who deservedly have their place and broadcasters who deservedly have their place but the TV people whether they be the directors or the producers or the, or the talent they don't the, the producers and directors rather they don't have a a, a way to sort of you know Get in, or well, the the owners do have a way. George should be in. Yes. I mean, he was not put in because for politics, it's political. But how do you get? How do you w- have seven pennants and win five world championships, and you know, take a franchise that was in disarray and a mess when he got a hold of it and turned it back into the, the 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 standard bearer of baseball that it, it, it should be and did become and was. He he turned it back and free agency and addressing that, and also starting. Yes, I mean that, that was from him. You know, so you know, if he but he certainly backed it and. and pushed it and and, you know and worked with with me to sort of put that vision out there to put the visual part of it out but the vision was there and it came from him. How do you do all those things and not get in the Hall of Fame? I mean you tell me if the if the criteria is, Sean, that you made an impact on the game, that you've changed the game, Marvin Miller too. Why are they not in? That's that's wrong. So if you're gonna be a real Hall of Fame then you need to correct that. Because as far as I'm concerned, I will never set foot in there until they correct that. Not that they really need my presence, but I'm just saying that's wrong and they need to address that. Yeah. So, anyway, I thought my George Steinbrenner thing. Thank you for letting me do that, Sean, uh, yeah. to service the baseball.
0: Yeah, and I'm you sorry. mentioned Harry Coyle, too, and uh, God, yeah. uh, one of the great directors. And with what, I don't know how many cameras they had, 18, 20 cameras uh, <laughs> that he would sit there I mean, doing. a World
1: Series, like yeah. 25. He, he used to do shows, but had three. When he started, they would, he'd, do, he'd do one camera game, Sean. Yeah. I used to say, the messed mess that up, isn't it, Harry? You only <laughs> one camera, you can't mess that up. But he worked for the Dumont Network when in the infancy of television. Okay. And that, by the way, Dumont not only started the game of the week, they started wrestling. Gorgeous George yeah. and all that came from the Dumont Network. Yeah. They would put the matches on. It was the most popular thing they did were the matches. So Harry used to direct the wrestling. So Harry had an unbelievable well, he was, career. Yeah. He was a bomber pilot in the Second World War on top of it. So, I mean, he had an Nothing interesting life. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. for do you sure. remember
0: that's do, for sure. Do you remember they did uh, Mike Castell did uh, a piece with Harry Coyle where they followed yes. him in the truck? Yes. And, and I, I and I remember that, you know, they got all, you're just watching and it's just monitors and he's calling okay, two get right two set, take two, <laughs> take uh, yeah. four you know. And then they had this huge power outage. And I c I can't remember what was it, what series? And all you hear is the, you know, the the whole thing just goes dead, just like that, and it's just completely black. Yeah. But our cameras, the the you know, shooting the the segment, and you hear, hear it right. very close. The brain is dead. That was, that was the game of the week in Atlanta. The brain <laughs> is dead. Yeah. Never, yeah, got, was, never went. Totally dead. Never, you know, didn't, his heart rate probably didn't move a bit. No. But that's greatness, isn't it, yeah. Sean? Oh, you know what God. greatness is? Yeah. Greatness is when everything, you
1: see everything in slow motion. Yeah. You're really good at something when the, when the moment slows down for you. It doesn't speed up. It never got too big for him. It never, that's, the, I mean, I sat next to him, kind of how many years. I mean, I knew him pretty well. Yeah. So I would say it never got too big for him, and that's what made him the great director that he was. Anybody who's good at something, really, no matter what it is, if the moment you slow down when you see a great moment, you recognize it, and you don't panic. Because if you panic, everything... Speeds up, right? So it was. It's. I mean, he taught me. Uh, he taught me that sensibility about just to be, don't get too upset about anything. I mean, nothing you can do about it. I mean, you can't control a crew of you know 110 people. Sometimes things are just going to happen. You can't control if the power if the if the stadium gets a power hit and they go off the air. There ain't a yeah. lot we could do about it. And you know, unless we have Dixie cups and we're going to try to run a generator back. <laughs> we we took all the precautions we did. As long as you were prepared and you had you already there. That's all you could do. I will tell you how prepared Harry was, but what made Harry so great, Sean you <laughs> Was we do a game like, uh, I don't know, we, 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 we talk about Wrigley Field, right? The wind always in Wrigley Field is a factor because the wind blows out. he had like 6,000 home runs, right? So the wind blows out. So he'd say, so Spin Sky would say, you know, the wind here at Wrigley Field. And so it isn't just a flag. You'd look up. He never had a telecamera. Three get this shot, five yeah. get this, seven get this. You'd look up, and one of the guys had a hot dog wrapper swirling, right? So the other one had a, fans bundled up against the cold. Yeah. The other one had guys in the dugout with their warm up jackets on. You know, then you had, you know, a, you know, you had every conceivable shot shot up that dealt with the cold was all addressed he never had to say a word the camera guys were so trained yeah, they knew exactly yeah. where to go yeah. to give you those shots I mean, but that came from his vision and him being prepared and him preaching that stuff he had a book he had a bible it was called the bible how to do a baseball game and when I did the baseball network I copied that book I, yeah. I, I put some other things in it but for the most part this was Harry's vision on how to do a baseball game it hasn't changed to this day with all the innovations and all the things and all the sound and all the things you could do now that you couldn't do that the basic tenet still holds right? I guess it holds in wrestling too. It's one, two, three, right? It's the same tenant. I guess, I guess everything holds. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, it's been a a fascinating journey, uh, John, really, uh, all the, we could have talked for a couple more hours here, but really just a fascinating look into network television and, uh, and your time with the WWF. And I'm, uh, you know, like you said, you, you did value that time there and I'm glad we uh, crossed paths because, uh, We've been able to reconnect again, and uh, I know you, you're not done yet, right? You're still, <laughs> no,
1: I'm still got some time on a contract, and I, you know, and I would, I mean, I don't know what'll happen. I mean, yeah. if I stay beyond my, my one more year that's left, but, you know, it may, it may not. I, I don't really know. see how I feel at the time. My wife wants me to have a home in Florida, my wife wants me to sort of get there a little bit more and yeah. than I do, uh, and you know, I would like to kick back a little bit, but I, you know, so I, I blew up my quad recently, so I've been rehabbing that, and I'm coming along nicely, but it's been like three months, and so I've spent a lot of time yeah. kind of sort of home, and and, and, and you can get retrospective, you can get like uh, very reflective, you start thinking about things, you know, yeah. but I must tell you, I went crazy, so the whole idea of me not doing something is not going to happen, but I'm on a board, I like boards, you know, maybe i go in the yes, but I don't know, we'll see how it plays out, but yeah. I uh, I still think I've got things to offer. And as long as I feel that I'm doing something that's constructive, whether especially make a wish, that means a lot to me and my and my wife because of what my son went through. And he's great now, but that was that was awful. And yeah. that's a whole story for another day. But, you know, th- but those sort of things you start to take away, you realize what's important. And, you know, I've already done a lot of interesting things. And if it stopped now, I won't stop now. And I would, my legacy is good. I'm content with my career and my life and, and things. And, you know, I'd still like to, I still think I could do more. I'd like to do more and, you know, the day you stop trying things or doing things, I mean, it's like taking a chance. It's like if, if you stop taking chances in life or you're going to sit there and, and say, well, I don't want to do this because I could get burned or I could get, no, you do. If you really feel like you still have something left, then go do it. You know, if it doesn't work out, you know, it doesn't work out. But you know, so what? I mean, you can't appreciate success until you, you fall and you're, you're behind a couple of times. Do that, then you really appreciate success. So. I just want to keep going. I want to keep going as long as I'm productive and as long as somebody believes I am. And As long as that's the case, I'll be around doing stuff. If not, then that's fine. I'll, I'll, I, I have a lot of WrestleManias
0: to catch up on. Yeah, I'm looking right. forward to that, too. Well, I think you know that I, uh, you could tell, I really, really enjoyed that conversation with Flip. And I truly believe that he could have dramatically changed how the WWF product was presented, um... For the better, really, if that relationship would have worked out. But it was not to be. It was, uh, you know, uh, you know, being an outsider. And at the time, there was a real power struggle going on amongst the players uh, surrounding Vince. And it's uh, interesting to think that after all John had done uh, and has done since, um, you can still see that he believes he could have done more for the WWF. That's a period of time that I think that uh, he would have liked to have you know, done more with that challenge, but um, it was not to be, and it certainly worked out for him (laughs) as he went on to help start the uh, MLB network, which, uh, you know, was uh, really groundbreaking at the time that you could actually have a network devoted uh, to sports, uh, a particular sport, uh, baseball, but then, of course, the strike came in, and that kind of uh, Uh, at least initially, knocked that idea down, and then he would go on to work for Fox Sports and then the YES Network. He started the the YES Network along with George Steinbrenner. Uh, That's the Yankees Network, for those who uh, aren't aware of what the YES Network is, and it has been around quite a while now, and he's been there from the beginning nearly 20 years now, and that is where he remains now. Uh, John Filippelli, a true innovator in sports television, and I really want to thank him for coming on um, if you'd like to hear more from John, uh, you get the chance, check out his podcast. He's got a podcast uh, that's part of the uh, Yes Network, but you can um, download it on uh, all your favorite podcast platforms. It's called Curtain Call, Curtain Call with John Filipelli. So uh, check it out. All right, uh, big shout out here to our Patreon members. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for hanging with us uh, through all that uh, we've been uh, doing over the past couple of years and uh, still a lot of content put up there every single week uh we've got uh, another watch along that uh, i do with uh, you know some of these uh, older programs we call them uh, the network classics we have another one out this week uh, another tuesday night titans which man <laughs> I, I just love those episodes so like i say they're so bad they're good and uh we've got one out this this week from january 25th 1985 and a lot happening at the time with the company if you get a chance, be sure and check that out. But uh, all of our Patreon members, uh, of course, you get that early and ad-free, as well as uh, this podcast that drops on Wednesdays. Uh, the Network Classics are on Monday uh, at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And then, of course, we have a brand-new episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And then the Vault uh, episodes that drop on Saturdays. Man, we got a lot of content out there. And also, we've uh, started to beef up our YouTube um, channel. And uh, folks you can check that out. You just go to YouTube uh, and uh, search Primetime Mooney. And uh, one of the reasons we're, we're starting to put more stuff up there is we're getting uh, more and more video interviews that we're doing and uh, we want to put those up. Of course, our Patreon members uh, get to look at all that stuff first. And uh, getting back to that, uh, you know we'd love to have you check out uh, uh, our Patreon membership. All you have to do is go to patreon.com/primetime Mooney. And for as little as uh, $4.99 a month, you get all of the episodes, all that content that I mentioned uh, early and ad-free. And we have a couple of other tiers that you can join uh, up on and uh, get some great perks, Uh, you know, all that. And then, of course, uh, the uh, Ask Mooney Anythings, and then you guys get to ask questions of our guests, and I ask them when we we, uh, do those uh, recordings. So uh, check it out, and then again uh, you know, that's the Moonies, and then also uh, you can become a Legion of Who member. You get your own podcast with me, and also a watch along that we do, just uh, you and me. We just do that, and that's that's all part of it. But you can get more information. Just check it out. Go to Patreon.com/PrimetimeMooney, and uh, also we got the T-shirts. Check out our T-shirts. We've got some uh, great T-shirts up. We got some new ones coming. Uh, just go to Mooneytees.com. That's Mooneytees.com. That's real easy to remember. Uh, we love to have you follow us on Instagram and Twitter. That's real simple. It's just at Primetime Mooney. And I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening once again. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.